Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. In the last half hour of hour two of the program, we're going to reach out to Warsaw, Poland, and I'll speak with writer-translator Adam Borowski about paranormal Poland. This hour and into the first half hour of hour two, we are going to uh, welcome an author, researcher, videographer to discuss the Essenes, this mysterious group of prophets and scribes who lived hundreds of years before Christ and their understanding of end times prophecy. He'll uh, reveal how an ancient Jewish calendar predicts the year 2025 AD as prophetically significant and the messages that the Essenes left behind for believers living in this present age. Josh Peck is an avid researcher of fringe topics. He's a videographer at Skywatch TV, creator of the Sharpening Report, host of Into the Multiverse, and is the author of numerous books, including Abaddon Ascending, uh, co-authored with best-selling author Tom Horn, Quantum Creation, Does the Supernatural Lurk in the Fourth Dimension, Cherubim Chariots, Exploring the Extra-Dimensional Hypothesis, uh, Josh specializes in scientific studies such as quantum physics to explain paranormal phenomena experienced around the world. He's been featured on TV and radio shows including Skywatch TV and the Hagman and Hagman Report. And his latest is The Lost Prophecies of Qumran 2025 and the Final Age of Man. Josh, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great, Richard. It's good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me on. So let's start with a basic understanding of this sect of the Jewish faith, the Essenes. Who were they? Yeah, and this is really interesting because they formed around the same time as the Pharisees and Sadducees. So uh, if people are familiar with their New Testaments, uh, it would be a couple of hundred years before that was when this forming would have happened. They, uh, They actually, the Essenes believed the Pharisees and Sadducees had become corrupt, and they they believed that they were holding on the true t- traditional Judaism. Um, and because of that, because of that break off, they formed a settlement in Qumran, and they wrote and kept the Dead Sea Scrolls. So these are the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, and they were still around during the time of Christ. Did they take a vow of poverty, celibacy? What else can you tell us about them? Yeah, they had they had different oaths that they would do in their community. There there are some um, there is some information that goes out there uh, trying to say that they were like communists and all this. And um, that's that's not it, they had. They did communal living, but it wasn't the leadership that was like forcing it. That was uh, it was more kind of structured around their their interpretation of the Old Testament, basically. Uh, so the way that the entire structure worked, the, the, the priests and people that would be training lived in Qumran and some other people as well. Uh, that was like the epicenter, but there were Essenes all over Israel. Um, I think it's Josephus that said in every city there, there were Essenes. 
so the structure, it was almost like, not in theology, but in structure, it was almost like the Vatican, um, just without a pope. So you have like a central uh, place for, for Catholics to understand their doctrine and teachings and stuff, uh, but you have Catholics everywhere. So the Essenes were like that too. Um, so they weren't all priests and they didn't all live in that uh, area, but they did have a, a certain interpretation of the Bible that was different from the Pharisees and Sadducees. All males? Uh, no, some of, well, some, some of the priests were, of course, some of them had to take vows like that, but, uh, there were some families too, even children, they were known to, um, bring in actually adopt children. Uh, so probably mostly males because in Qumran, they would have been, a lot of them would have been training to be priests. Uh, but there were some families as well. These scribes, where did they get the original texts or the texts that they worked from to transcribe to the Dead Sea Scrolls? Was it clay tablets? Yeah, they would have uh, take they would have taken copies from the temple library that uh, Israel had at the time. This would have been right at their forming. So when they broke off, they would have already had uh, copies of all the Old Testament books and plus a lot of other books as well. So they just brought those copies over. So now we should talk a little bit about the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found by this Bedouin shepherd boy in the caves of Qumran. He originally found them in 47, and then they were further discoveries up until about 56, 1956 or thereabouts. You know, he was looking for an errant goat, and he tossed a rock into a cave and heard a clink, and the rest is history, found these clay pots and so forth. When these scrolls were discovered, what is the historical significance of them? Why are they important? Yeah, and this this is fascinating. Uh, they tell us about what's called the 400 silent years. Um, this is the time between the Old and New Testaments, and a lot of that period of time, of 400, about 400 years, is still a mystery. Uh, so the Old Testament ends with Malachi, and Israel is going a certain way, and it makes sense. And then the New Testament opens with Matthew, and everything is different. We have Pharisees and Sadducees, and uh, every, everything is just run a lot different. So the Dead Sea Scrolls came into uh, existence a little bit before this time and tells the whole story on how this happened. So we can we can use them for uh, for history. Uh, before the Dead Sea Scrolls, we only had some scattered parts of the Talmud and uh, four books of Maccabees and Josephus to tell us uh, what happened between the Testaments. But the Dead Sea Scrolls actually have a lot more to say about that time. Right. And they're also what the oldest texts of the Hebrew Bible in existence, right? So they predate all of the other copies, let's say, by, by what, a thousand years or something? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which that makes them historically significant too, because even before the New Testament was being written, uh, we have all these copies of the Old Testament in the Dead Sea Scrolls. We can um, Now, a lot of them are fragmented, so we don't have a whole lot of full, complete scrolls. But the pieces that we have, we can compare it with our Bibles and see how they match up, and they actually match up really well. So were they written primarily in Hebrew, all in Hebrew, some Aramaic? There was some uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, and some Greek. Which books of the Old Testament are included in the Dead Sea Scrolls? All of them except Esther. And there's some theories as to why that is. Why would Esther be excluded? A, a simple answer might just be they haven't discovered any or none, none of those copies survived. Um, there's other ideas about it, too. Uh, some, some scholars think that it might be because there isn't an expressed um, 
like authority of God in that book. And so they may have left it out for that. But a lot of those theories are, are speculation. We don't really know why that book was excluded or if it was meant to be excluded at all. Uh, but yeah, all the books of the Old Testament are there and uh, a lot of other ones, a lot of extra biblical texts like Enoch and uh, uh, books like that. The Apocrypha, I guess we call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Jubilees. And, yeah. Yep. And what about non-biblical texts? Like, I guess, what would we call those? Sectarian? Like the community um, rule in Damascus document. Right. Yeah, those documents, uh, they basically tell how the how the whole group was formed. They told what the what the problem was, what what the initial problem was. And it's actually kind of interesting because there's a prophecy in Jubilees. Uh, and I believe it was I think it was Jubilees was either the most or one of the most found fragments. They had a lot of copies of Jubilees. And there's a prophecy in there. That talks about a, a time where uh, certain certain Jewish people would reject the calendar. The calendar was really important to God, and uh, it was a solar can- calendar, and that the some of the Jews would would reject it and go apostate. And the Essenes interpreted that as being fulfilled uh, during their time when they were formed, because the main problem was the uh, who would become the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, wanted to adopt this pagan lunar calendar as kind of a compromise to to get along with this with this other ruler, and uh, some of some of the Jews said, "Nope, that's absolutely inappropriate. We're not doing that." Uh, and then some of them wanted to do it. Uh, well, apparently the ones that wanted to do it got outvoted because they uh, they remained there, and the uh, the Qumran community left and started doing their own thing over there. Uh, so the sectarian texts tell us about the community, about the rules, uh, how just their whole community functioned, and also the history. Um, another really interesting thing, too, is they, they said that, that their forming was the fulfillment of another prophecy uh, having to do with John the Baptist, the prophecy in Isaiah about uh, making the way of the Lord and how John the Baptist fulfilled that. Well, the Essenes said, and, and we can read it in the Dead Sea Scrolls, that they, uh, and the, I think that it's in the community rule, um, that they believed that they were a fulfillment of that in, in some way that that, that was uh, supposed to happen. So that, that was really cool because you have this, um, you have this Jewish sect, and in their in their sectarian text, how they're explaining what their group is, why they formed, how they operate, they say that they're a fulfillment of that. Well, then we find later John the Baptist actually has some connection with the Essenes as well. So it's all really interesting how that connects together. Well, when I th- when I think of the Essenes, I think of a very ascetic group. They lived very simply, a vow of poverty and and celibacy and so forth. It is very reminiscent of. John the Baptist, you know, eating locusts in the desert and, and so forth. Was he perhaps inspired by the Essenes? Was he was he an Essene? There's actually a lot of reasons to think that might be the case. I've uh, in studying this, I've become convinced that he was probably a, a part of that co- community. Um, but first, the Essenes, like I said, they believe that they were to fulfill Isaiah 40, verse three, about the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. And uh, it was a big part of why they went out there in the first place. But we find out that John was the fulfillment of that prophecy. Like you mentioned, he had a diet of locusts. And as I show in my book, this this is really interesting how the Gospels give us these, uh, scripture really just gives us these weird little details 
A good friend, a good friend of mine, Doctor Mike Heiser, says when it comes to the Bible study, if it's weird, it's important. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so it's weird that it just happens to mention that he ate locusts. How strange. Well, uh, John had the diet of locusts, but um, locusts were not a common food in Israel at the time, except in Qumran, where we actually find instructions on how to prepare locusts for food. And I believe that was in the community rule as well. Uh, But we also have John's father worked in the temple. But for some reason, we don't see John following that tradition. So if he was working in the temple, he would have been a a Pharisee. And we know that... um, and he had this encounter with the angel. Probably we now we'll, we can fill in some of the gaps. This is guesswork on my part, but what I think happened, he probably rejected the Pharisee way after that encounter with the angel because he 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 would have been familiar enough with a, a scene, you know, theology to understand what prophecy they believed they were going to fulfill. And I think after that angel encounter. And I think that that might have been why he laughed at first, too, and the, the angel had to, had to shut him up for a while. But uh, he probably decided to reject Pharisee, uh, the Pharisee way, and um, probably took John, because he was the next in line, took John over to the Essenes to be discipled there, uh, because that was something that they were known for doing. So, uh, so maybe for some reason, if that or something else, for some reason, John went to live with the Essenes. Also, what's interesting is John was baptizing uh, before Jesus comes on the scene. And the Essenes were actually known for ritual bathings, exactly like that. It was a part of an initiation into that understanding, into that theology, that way of reading the scriptures and that way of uh, living in their community. So that's really cool that that's where baptism comes from. It's, it's a much older, older tradition. Uh, probably going back to just original uh, Judaism before before the apostasy took place in probably around two to three hundred, well, three to two hundred BC, somewhere in that area. Why did they split? There's like the three main sects of Judaism. You mentioned the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the uh, the Essenes. Uh, was it was it over the calendar, or was there a, was there another reason that they split off? It seems like at least the reason that the Essenes were in Qumran was over the calendar. Between the Pharisees and Sadducees, so in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Essenes called the Pharisees the sons of darkness. Uh, and they call them that as kind of a kind of a dig because they, in the Essene mind, they accepted this lo- lunar pagan calendar. Um, so they called them the sons of darkness. They called the Sadducees the seekers of smooth things. And what they meant by that is... Uh, the way the Essenes understood it, the, uh, a Sadducee would be somebody who would say, just go along with the government. Let's take it easy. There's no afterlife anyway, so let's try to have the best life we can here. Um, so radically different theologies, uh, all three of them. But those were the, the three main ones and why they split. The Essene calendar that you mentioned, tell me a little bit more about that. Is that, is that found in the Bible? Yeah, well, not explicitly, but I believe that that is what the Bible uses. Um, so according to the Essenes, they were using the original calendar that God gave to Adam. And the Essenes would say that the calendar of the Pharisees was pagan and corrupt. Uh, but apparently sometime during the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes, the Jew- Jewish leadership were required to use this pagan, lunar pagan calendar. And someone along with it, some didn't. Um, but the Essenes claimed to keep the original calendar. Uh, now, if you try to map out the events of 
say Noah's flood, because if they make that claim, we have the original calendar. Well, that calendar should still be in our Bibles. Uh, and in, in fact, it, it, it's, I haven't found a mistake yet. It seems to be there. Um, for example, if you try to map out the events of uh, Noah's flood on any other calendar, it just doesn't work. You'll always be a day or two off somewhere. But on the Essene calendar, it matches perfectly. Uh, same with the events of Moses and his meeting with God. The day counts, uh, they don't work on any other calendar. Uh, most re- relevant to us is, um, I, I believe that it's the Essene calendar that end times prophecy in the Bible is based on. And in the book, I go through several future prophecies from Daniel and Revelation and others to show how the day counts line up actually really perfectly with the Essene calendar uh, with events even falling on feast days and things. Um, so the, the calendar itself, it was split up differently than ours. So they basically had an understanding of human history of 7,000 complete years. They saw one giant complete week, like one, uh, seven year or 7,000 year period. Uh, now, just like we have millennia, centuries, decades, and years, the Essene had ages, which were 2000 years. They had onas. Uh, which were uh, 500 years, Jubilees, which was 50 years, Shemitah's seven, and then normal years. Um, so they actually had these ages mapped out. The way that if we're understanding their calendar correctly, and if if we're getting our days right, then uh, they they would have said their age of Torah, that's what the 2,000-year period they were living in, their age of Torah would have concluded in 75 A.D., and it was only a couple of years before that that you had the destruction of the temple. Uh, so the way that they had the 7,000-year history work is uh, from creation to the call of Abraham. That was the age of creation or age of chaos. From the call of Abraham to uh, 75 AD was the age of Torah. Um, and from 75 AD to presumably <laughs> 2075, uh, AD is the age of grace and which is interesting that they actually call it that in in the Dead Sea Scrolls and then the last thousand years is the mu- millennium the millennial reign of Christ the last 1,000 years it's like a half age it's a Sabbath age and that completes the the whole 7,000 years and then after that it's a it's a new creation uh, so that that is really interesting to me that that so that kind of shows how they're um, kind of yearly calendar worked. It was it was a solar calendar, and more how uh, it, it worked kind of broadly. Were they apocalyptic? Yeah, yeah. They had a lot of uh, well, they had the Book of Enoch, and that's about one of the most apocalyptic books <laughs> besides Revelation that you can read. But uh, yeah, they had a they had a lot of beliefs about end times. They mainly talked about their age and the end of their age, uh, but they had a little bit a little bit to say about ours. Um, uh, mainly surrounding the idea of apostasy, that basically the world will just kind of go nuts right before the end, uh, which, you know, look out the window. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to take a, a time out here. We'll come back and continue to discuss the Essenes and the Lost Prophecies of Qumran 2025 and the Final Age of Man. And just as we roll into a break, uh, let me just take care of some quick business here. I want to uh, give a quick shout out to three of our Patreon uh, donors in the Star Chamber tier, Tim Sullivan, Deep Paul, and Tim T. Thank you, uh, all three of you. Your uh, your monthly support 
and donations mean so much to me. It helps us to continue the work that we do here. Once again, Tim Sullivan, Deep Paul, and Tim T, our Star Chamber tier uh, Patreon supporters. And if you'd like to uh, consider becoming an official donor, you can uh, go to patreon.com slash strangeplanet, patreon.com slash strangeplanet, a number of tiers to choose from. Choose the one that's right for you. But as always, any monthly donation Greatly appreciated. All right, back to uh, more of my conversation with Josh Peck right after these. A trusted sponsor of my show, GetTheTea.com, is having their summer sale. Hey, guys, let's talk about Father's Day. What kind of gift would you like to give your dad? Why not think about a gift that would help his digestion? Remember, Life Change Tea is an amazing gentle cleanse that he can use daily for gut health. Who doesn't need that? I know I do. I drink it every day. It comes in three different flavors, natural, peppermint, and my favorite, pomegranate. You need to try it. The combination of 12 herbs just does a beautiful number on my insides. Right now, they're having their big summer sale. Buy three, get one free. That's right, buy three, get one free. Life Change Tea is not a fad. They've been around since 2007, helping thousands of people. And it's made right in the USA. It's easy to brew, keep it in your fridge, and you drink it daily. It's summertime, and I always want to have a big glass of iced tea. That's why I drink Life Change Tea. Buy now and get one month of tea for free. Go to getthetea.com forward slash Richard to order yours today. Use the code Richard10 to get an additional $10 off plus free shipping. That's over $50 in savings. Again, that's getthetea.com forward slash Richard and use the code Richard and the number 10, Richard10 for $10 more plus free shipping. Don't miss out. You can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several tiers to choose from. Pick which one is right for you, but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated. As a sign of my appreciation, you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show, or you could have your name included in a crawl on my YouTube channel live stream. You could also receive episodes episodes of my old podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. This critically acclaimed podcast, produced in partnership with Chris Jericho, is not currently available anywhere else. If you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we are back with Josh Peck, the author of The Lost Prophecies of Qumran 2025 and The Final Age of Man. We're talking about the Essenes, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, Were the Essenes apolitical or were they revolutionaries? Yeah, it's it's tough with politics because um, in Israel at that time, politics and religion were basically the same. They were wrapped up together. I mean, their their civil law, the way that Israel ran, was the Torah. And uh, so politically, I mean, the, the obedient ones would have been that. They, they would have just been Torah followers. Uh, but then you had the Pharisees who pretty much ran everything at that time. Um, politically... The Pharisees are, they, they mainly just wanted the power. And as uh, far as the Sadducees, they didn't really care. They, they figured whoever was in power, just do what they say. And let's, let's have a really easy life. 
so yeah, so politically, I mean, ma- mainly just what the the Torah would say and direct them. That's what they tried to do. Did the Essenes have any knowledge as to the whereabouts of Solomon's Temple and the treasures of Solomon's Temple? It's possible with that there's one weird scroll called the Copper Scroll. I only dedicated a, a brief uh, part in my book to it because there's already been a lot of books written about it, and um, I didn't want to get too much into it because it's a whole rabbit trail. But basically, there was this Copper Scroll found, and it seems to list items and possibly where they're buried. Uh, so it's been studied and analyzed. If that if that is accurate, um, but because of the political tension in Israel right now, nobody can go and check it out and dig and stuff. But if that's accurate, then that might be uh, some of the location of some of the temple pieces, maybe even the Ark of the Covenant. Who knows? So getting back to these different ages of the Essenes, they say our age, our present age doesn't end until 2075. So 50 some years from now, does that mean we won't see the prophecy being fulfilled until then? Possibly not. This is this is what what is really cool. Between these ages, the the previous jubilee of 50 years, there seems to be a transition point. So uh, with the events, you can't really like point down a single date and say this is where this age began and this one ends because the the age that's to come, at least so far, started a little bit before the the last age ended. So we easiest way to think about this is we would probably say that the church started like Christianity, the church started probably Pentecost or somewhere around that time, but we wouldn't say 75 AD. So we would say that our church age kind of started there, but the, 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 the Essene calendar would have the date at 75 AD. So these, the, the end of one age and the beginning of another seem to blend together. Now, if that is true, if that's accurate, then in 2025, we'll be entering the final jubilee of our age, which, if this keeps going, might mean the next age, the next age to come, might blend in a little bit. So there's a lot of different ways that this could happen. Um, We could have a really early tribulation, and let's say 2025 comes in that second the tribulation starts. And by the way, I'm I'm not setting dates or anything. I'm just, just hypothetically. Um, well, we could have the whole thing finish, and then, uh, you know, Jesus returns after that, so 32, <laughs> 2032, which would be interesting. But, um, uh, yeah, he, he would come back in 2032 AD, but if the age to come doesn't end until 75, but there's this blending thing, it might be that that's when people get instructions on how the next age is going to work. A, a lot of times we have this idea that, uh, or people who would take it literally anyway, that when Jesus comes, he's going to clap his hands and everything's going to be perfect. And I, I don't think he's going to do it like that. I, I think there, there's going to be a, a cleanup effort. You know, I mean, he, we know that he uses the, the birds to clean up Armageddon. Uh, but there's going to there's gonna be new buildings, there's going to be a new temple, there's, there's this whole new structure. How long does it take to teach the surviving world uh, how this new world is going to work? So it, that could be that could be a decades gap uh, and maybe at probably Pentecost, because that was uh, like the, the initiation of the new age, uh, according to the Essenes at Pentecost, that uh, 2075, possibly that would be when the millennial age would start in that scenario. Uh, there's other ideas, too. Um, if uh, if some of your listeners are a pre-trib rapture believer, uh, you could have a really early rapture. 
but it's not the rapture that starts the tribulation. It's the signing of the covenant with many. So let's just say hypothetically, as, as crazy as it may sound, let's just say uh, a bunch of Christians disappear off the earth one day. Well, the rest of the world is going to at least be familiar with the idea of that. And, you know, I mean, word's going to get around, hey, was that the rapture? Well, let's say they thought that that was going to start the tribulation. But let's say seven years go by and no incident, no Antichrist, no second coming of Jesus, just everything's going on as it was. Well, let's say a few decades of that go by. Now you got a whole new generation uh, that that it, it would it would seem silly, like archaic to to believe in Christianity and believe that was the rapture. And clearly it wasn't. So then when the tribulation, if it comes late, let's say uh, 2068, if uh, the tribulation starts, then uh, that could be why like. That could be why so many people, when you read the book of Revelation, so many people have a hard time accepting what's going on, a hard time believing it. To to me, it seems like if a rapture happened, I mean, it it would be really hard to spin that story, I think, you know, but there would be a lot of people that would come to faith pretty much immediately after seeing that and realizing that they missed their chance. Uh, So I don't know for sure, but those are just a couple hypothetical situations. The Essenes were Jews. How did they inform the New Testament, if at all, or impact or influence the New Testament. So this is really cool because this might be what happened to the Essenes. So there's this big mystery. Where did the Essenes go? Um, nobody knows what happened to them, where they went, or why. Well, if the Essene, when you read Essene theology through the Dead Sea Scrolls, you actually find out it, it, it tracks really closely with just things that we know in Christianity. Um, and especially their view of the Messiah. So they believed that, and there's even a, there's even a prophecy in the Dead Sea Scroll about the, the Messiah coming, dying for sins, uh, being God in the flesh. And they, they may not have known all the particulars on how it was all going to work, but they knew those things to be true. And they even put the year at 32 AD when this would happen. Uh, and then, of course, so we have the, the crucifixion, crucifixion of Jesus. So before Jesus, all of this type of theology, these type of interpretations that today we would just accept as normal kind of Christian interpretations of the Old Testament, they they already had all that, and they were teaching that and looking forward to the day that this was coming, and they even knew the day. So when Jesus comes on the scene, uh, and and this is funny too, I I think this is why sometimes uh, Jesus can just like blink his eyes and 5,000 people are saved, but sometimes uh, he he'll go on and explain and talk and and try, try to try to get somebody there and they just w- won't have it. I think the ones that are easier converted, it's because they were already expecting this, and those were probably Essenes. So, if that's true, the Essenes would have become believers immediately. They would have accepted Messiah, and then Messiah would give the Great Commission. So I think what happened is they were the first Christians. They took the temple library and they went out to the nations and spread Christianity. So uh, that that seems to make the most sense when you look at history. So we may actually come from the Essenes being Christians, which is really cool to think about. Uh, Some have speculated that maybe Jesus came from that sect as well. Is that possible? Right. He probably taught them uh, for sure. Actually, there's a lot of uh, prophecy, possible prophecies in the Dead Sea Scrolls about Jesus, the Messiah, coming in and teaching. Um, but I wouldn't say that he was in a scene, just like if he came back today, he wouldn't be a Baptist or a Catholic or, you know, Orthodox or, you know, whatever. He wouldn't be any of those things. He would be Jesus and 
he would one one of those interpretations would be like the closest (laughs) so um so you know let's say uh, well so back then they would have they would have already existed and then jesus would have come and taught them but jesus even corrected some things because the essenes weren't perfect either i mean they they were great and and there's a lot of awesome stuff in the dead sea scrolls but they they still had some things wrong too um you know, I believe that uh, John and James probably were Essenes as well because they were uh, disciples of um, John the Baptist. So they likely were. were well, when they went uh, to, oh, I believe it was Samaria, uh, they, they were saying, should we just rain down fire on and just end it all? <laughs> and, and that's so Essene when you read the Dead Sea Scrolls because they talk like that in there. They, they're like, they, they like hate their enemies and stuff. And so Jesus even has to correct them a little bit on that. Um, there's actually a, an interesting theory that, and I, I don't know if I, I couldn't really find anything. I'm going to get that, you to hold on to that. Par- pardon the interruption, Josh. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll come back and, uh, and get to uh, more of our conversation. Josh Peck, author of the lost prophecies of Qumran uh, back with more in a moment. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. I call it the miracle molecule, carbon 60 or C60, for my good friends at C60Evo.com. And I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory. It's a remedy that works. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. This alone is worth the cost of the bottle. I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains. Zero. I'm 58, and I don't have a gray hair on my head. Get your miracle in a bottle. C60 from C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save an additional 10%. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. If you're a fan of this radio program and the Strange Planet podcast, why not show it off by wearing Strange Planet apparel or drinking from a Strange Planet mug? Check out all the great Strange Planet merch in my Strange Planet shop. Just go to the website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and click on Shop in the menu. There's a huge selection of men's and women's t-shirts. You like crop circles or the Mayan calendar? Gotcha covered. Are you into the Anunnaki? Wait till you see these designs. My favorite right now, lions do not lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. And one of our best sellers right now, Truth Gets You Crucified on the front and a passage from Matthew chapter 23 on the back. So many great t-shirt designs, I don't know where to begin. There's women's leggings and tote bags and, of course, mugs. Great gifts for family and friends who listen and love this show. My Strange Planet shop. Visit today and often. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and check it out. We've seen so many people making ridiculous money from crypto. But did you know it's easy for you to do the same? The Copy My Crypto membership site shows you the coins that the YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or how to invest as you simply do what he does. Let me tell you more about James. He runs the Crypto with James YouTube channel. Since March 2020, he's told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put in $100 into each 
each one, it would now be worth over $53,000. So if you'd like to join the 1,300 members who copy James, then stop what you're doing and head over to copymycrypto.com forward slash dollar. You'll not only find proof of everything I've said, but listeners get full access for just $1. You can't find this offer anywhere else, but act fast because the offer ends soon. That's copymycrypto.com forward slash dollar. Don't take this offer lightly. He's the real deal. Go visit the site now. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as self-evident. Self-evident. You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Josh Peck, author of The Lost Prophecies of Qumran 2025 and the Final Age of Man. This is kind of a controversial aspect, uh, and I'm sure you've heard about it and argued against it, this whole Dead Scroll conspiracy. I think it was forwarded by one of these Dead Sea Scroll scholars who sort of abandoned his Christian studies to study the scrolls, and he was an agnostic. Uh, I think his name was Allegro. And he had this theory that the Essenes, there's so much in their beliefs and their philosophy that actually you know, mirror the Messiah. They had some individual called the Teacher of Righteousness, and his theory was that the Teacher of Righteousness was... Jesus, because they had also within their community, they had a council of 12, uh, which mirrors, of course, the 12 apostles. They had this communal meal. They had baptisms, as you mentioned, healings. Uh, they talked about the coming of Messiah, all sort of analogous to the story of Jesus. What do you make of that theory? Yeah, to me, it just uh, foreshadows what was what was to come. And yeah, this, this teacher of righteousness uh, figure is really interesting because there is a lot of debate. Uh, as to who this is, it could have been um, an office that was started. Uh, it could have been like, you know, saying like a way of saying like high priest or something like that. It could have been like a job, a, a very high status job, but uh, it could have been a job that for every generation, uh, you know, there would be a new one. So it could have been that, or it might've been prophetic and it might've been talking about the Messiah. So opinions are kind of split on that. Um I tend to think right now that it's it's the Messiah, but I still need more study in this area to really know for sure. But yeah, it's it's a really interesting topic. Uh, Allegra also, I had this idea that the as part of their rituals that the Essenes consumed some type of uh, magic mushroom. <laughs> I have not heard that one. Oh, I, I will say though, there were other groups around uh, at the same time calling themselves Essenes, but that weren't practicing Essenes. Just like, you know, we got people that call themselves Christian. And you, when you really drill down to it, they don't even know who Jesus is. Uh, they had they had that too. They So there might've been um, a sect that was into that, but there, there were even uh, later on, there were like Gnostic people in Alexandria calling themselves Essenes. And in the Essene community at the time of Christ, they uh, spell out that they had these these uh, like four different heretical groups calling themselves Essenes. And they would they would focus on, you know, really strange and specific things like uh, you can't carry coins because it's idolatry and things like that. So you had a lot of uh, heretical groups, uh, you know, calling themselves Essenes, but that, uh, according to the true Essenes, weren't really Essene. (laughs) We were talking about some of these feasts and we were talking about the calendar. So if you, if you use the feasts and the calendar together, uh, and you try to piece together this prophetic timeline in your book, generally speaking, what, what did you discover? 
Yeah. Well, first, I discovered at this moment in time, it's impossible to know for sure when, you know, the rapture will happen or when the tribulation will start or any of that. We're not given exact dates. And uh, like I was saying before, with how the beginning of one age kind of starts a little early, uh, it's it's impossible to date because of that. And that, that might actually be why God set it up. Um, now, while I do provide several possibilities, I don't set out to prove an exact date um, on any of this stuff. But that being said, uh, I did discover that the day counts and the festival cycles from Daniel and uh, Revelation all seem to work absolutely perfectly on this Essene calendar. And they also help us solve some uh, secondary debates that we Christians have from time to time. For for example, even among the you know more literalist camp like where I'm from, you know, we have uh, debates like, do the two witnesses come in the first half or the last half of the tribulation? Well, if we believe the Essene calendar, they actually must come in the first half. Otherwise, those prophetic day counts, uh, they, they don't work at all. Um, but they work perfectly if they come into the, the, the very first one. So that's just one, that's one example of how this can be used. But it's, it's really interesting how that ties together. All right. This was, as I mentioned, a short segment. So we'll break away yet again, continue our conversation. Josh Peck, he stays with us the full two hours, The Lost Prophecies of Qumran 2025 and the Final Age of Man. My name is Richard Serrett, back with more in a moment. Have you subscribed to my newsletter yet? It's fast, easy, and absolutely free. Just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and then click on subscribe. All I need is your email address, and that's it. Then, once a month, you'll receive my newsletter, Inner Sanctum, in your email inbox. The Inner Sanctum contains a monthly brief, a column of my analysis of the news and opinions. There's a This Month in UFO or Conspiracy History, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of this radio program, a book club, my podcast pick of the month, a spotlight on a previous guest, and much more. Join the Strange Planet community by signing up for your free subscription to Inner Sanctum. Again, go to strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and click on subscribe. It's a strange planet. Read all about it. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position and make sure your carry-on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet. All right, Josh Peck stays with us. The Lost Prophecies of Qumran 2025 and the Final Age of Man. Uh, how do we get a copy, Josh? You can go to skywatchtvstore.com. That is the best place to get it. And uh, and if you could, leave me a review, an honest review on Amazon, because that helps out too. So should Christians emulate the Essenes? Should we follow the way, you know, the way that they conduct them themselves? Well, the great thing is the Essenes were mainly the ones that accepted Jesus and spread the gospel. So we already come from the Essenes. There are things that we can and should because it's biblical teaching. But as I mentioned before, the Essenes were not perfect people, as are none of us. So there is a danger in idolizing them to the point that we begin trying to do their same rituals. And again, some of these would have been things that Jesus corrected, and we're not specifically told 
all of them. We just know what the correction is. So Christians should act like Christians. And reading the Dead Sea Scrolls and seeing how Christianity began in the first place can help out a lot. But uh, we shouldn't regress back to doing things the way they were done before Jesus came the first time. The Essenes were very much looking forward to Jesus' arrival and the coming of this new age. So it would, uh, you know, they wouldn't have wanted us to, to go back like that. Uh, also, the Essenes were waiting for Messiah's first appearance, and we Christians are waiting for his second. So we definitely have commonality with them. The Essenes, in all likelihood, are our origin story. Uh, but we're not called to follow the Essene way. We're called to follow Christ. Should we follow their calendar? Uh, that's interesting, too. It depends on, I would say, what the reason is and what, uh, um, what, what somebody's trying to get out of it by doing it. So in the sense of learning about it so that we know when things happened in the Bible, uh, possibly, possibly even prophetically, then yeah, absolutely. Uh, but in the sense of it being like, required to do all of these feasts and festivals that are in the Essene calendar? Uh, absolutely not. Um, you know, if somebody wants to observe Passover to kind of know how it was and see how all the all the parts of it point to Jesus, you know, that that's great. If they want to do it on the day that the Essenes say it was, that's great. Um, but just understand, like, if somebody doesn't do that on, like, the Essene day, it's not like God's like not paying attention to that person or, or he's upset about it. Uh, so the, the feasts on the Essene calendar um, pointed towards Jesus. So we're not really required to do them. However, again, like if it's just for learning purposes, doing so, some form of them might be beneficial as long as it doesn't conflict with what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. Uh, but, you know, like we have to remember, they were required to sacri sacrifice animals and we're not. There are uh, things in the feasts that, um, we're not permitted to do today, or even at the time that Gentiles weren't permitted to do. Uh, many of the feasts, because there are uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's some new feasts. There's a couple new feasts mentioned. Um, many of the feasts, we don't have enough information on how they worked or what they were for or, or anything. The scrolls are just too fragmented. So I would say, yes, follow it in the sense of learning about it. Uh, but I would also advise against uh, applying it directly to day-to-day -day life and uh, following it the way that the Essenes would have. I should mention, too, real quick, if somebody wants a physical copy of that, they can go to dailyrenegade.com, and uh, me and Ken Johnson created that. Uh, if they want one on their computer, totally for free, biblefacts.org, and that's uh, Ken Johnson's ministry. So you mentioned um, they had, there were extra sort of hidden feasts. You have the uh, Typically, you have the seven... Sacred, sacred annual feasts of the old covenant, and most you know we're familiar with Passover and unleavened bread and the first fruits and uh, well what we call Pentecost and so forth. But what were these uh, extra hidden feasts? What can you tell us about them and 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 how did they point to the future? Yeah, yeah. So most know about the seven feasts that Orthodox Jewish people observe today, but the Dead Sea Scroll uh, has as many as twelve. So some of these new feast and festival days include uh, first fruits of new wine, uh, first fruits of new oil, and uh, the head of the year. Um, and then pointing to, to something prophetic, it seems that they would, but uh, we don't know how much of uh, how much all of the feasts like how they worked. Uh, we know how Passover works, and we can see how the elements of uh, Passover, the Passover Seder, points to Jesus. Um, so we would assume all of the feasts are like that, but the scrolls are so fragmented, we don't know much. But from what we can gather, 
it seems like the festival of new wine had something to do with marriage and weddings, possibly pointing to the church being the bride of Christ, or maybe uh, even the union of Jew and Gentile under Jesus. Um, the festival of new oil seems to have something to do with prophecy, but uh, we, ju- we just don't know much of anything about the actual elements of the feasts. But what does seem to happen a lot, though, is when you map out the day counts from Daniel to Revelation uh, on the Essene calendar, a lot of prophetic events happen some, some, on new, some of those even on new festival days, these, these new feast days that are discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So they are important, and I believe, hopefully, someday, more information about them will be discovered. I was reading recently where... Th- even today, and this was something I was totally unaware of, they're, they are finding additional fragments. Yeah. Uh, we seem to think, you know, it was all wrapped up in 1957 or whatever, but, and, and there are, there are fragments that have been uh, found and even advertised for sale in the uh, classified section of the Wall Street Journal. And it's, I mean, I don't know if they've all been, been verified. Have we discovered anything recently uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls that tells us anything new about the Essenes or, you know, prophecy. So far, yeah, so far, uh, n- nothing really noteworthy. I mean, there are new discoveries being announced every day, uh, it seems like. But the way that it usually works is, is a discovery will be made. And then sometimes the outside world doesn't even know about it for decades. Um, you know, the, the people working on it have other projects and sometimes it just takes time. So they don't announce it because they want to know everything they can know about it first to make sure what they're announcing is correct. So it could be that there have been huge discoveries made already that were just that haven't been publicly announced yet. So uh, hopefully that's the case because someday they will be, and uh, that'll be really interesting. Uh, did we get into Daniel uh, twelve uh, four? I don't think we we did. We've got a, just a couple minutes here. Why don't we start to begin? Or why don't we begin, rather, with Daniel 4? In your book, you, you make this connection with our time today and the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Can you explain that? Yeah. Uh, so there's a verse in Daniel uh, that says, uh, an angel's talking to Daniel, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, what's interesting about that run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased Uh, Apparently, a lot of scholars say when you really dig into that and what that means, that means knowledge about scripture will be increased and people will be running to and fro, you know, between something and then going back to the scripture to see if it's right. Um, So to the time of the end, many run to and fro, knowledge uh, shall be increased. And then the very beginning of that verse says, but, oh, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, which is interesting. So copies of the book of Daniel, of course, were found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, now, I'm not saying that this is the main interpretation of that verse, but I find it interesting that literally the words of Daniel were shut up and sealed in jars, and they were discovered when Israel became a nation again. Many say that, um, may, many say is the beginning of the time of the end. That's what a lot of people believe. And the second part of that verse is interesting because, uh, again, that to and fro with uh, Scripture. So that means that there will be a time people will have a reason to go back and forth to the scripture, always learning more. The Dead Sea Scrolls are basically a huge commentary on the Old Testament. I mean, there are actual commentaries on Old Testament books in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, So now that we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, our knowledge is increased and we have a lot more context uh, than we used to for how to interpret the Bible. And specifically, they're 
are prophetic things in the book of Daniel that could not be understood without the Dead Sea Scroll, specifically prophecy. Um, like, uh, for example, when most try to figure out the Moedim cycles in Daniel's prophecy, the time, times, and half a time, well, they were using the seven feast or the seven festivals uh, most are familiar with, but the Dead Sea Scroll lists as many as 12. So some of those day counts could fall on feast days. Um, now, that, that may not have been exactly what the angel meant when he told this to Daniel, but to me, that seems like more than a coincidence. All right. Hour two coming up. Josh Peck stays with us. The Lost Prophecies of Qumran 2025 and the Final Age of Man. Stay tuned for more. I call it the Miracle Molecule, Carbon 60 or C60 for my good friends at C60Evo.com. And I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory. It's a remedy that works. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. This alone is worth the cost of the bottle. I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains. Zero. I'm 58 and I don't have a gray hair on my head. Get your miracle in a bottle. C60 from C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save an additional 10%. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your health care provider. A trusted sponsor of my show, GetTheTea.com, is having their summer sale. Hey guys, let's talk about Father's Day. What kind of gift would you like to give your dad? Why not think about a gift that would help his digestion? Remember, Life Change Tea is an amazing, gentle cleanse that he can use daily for gut health. Who doesn't need that? I know I do. I drink it every day. It comes in three different flavors, natural, peppermint, and my favorite, pomegranate. You need to try it. The combination of 12 herbs just does a beautiful number on my insides. Right now, they're having their big summer sale. Buy three, get one free. That's right, buy three, get one free. Life Change Tea is not a fad. They've been around since 2007, helping thousands of people. And it's made right in the USA. It's easy to brew, keep it in your fridge, and you drink it daily. It's summertime, and I always want to have a big glass of iced tea. That's why I drink Life Change Tea. Buy now and get one month of tea for free. Go to getthetea.com forward slash Richard to order yours today. Use the code Richard10 to get an additional $10 off plus free shipping. That's over $50 in savings. Again, that's getthetea.com forward slash Richard and use the code Richard and the number 10, Richard10 for $10 more plus free shipping. Don't miss out. 